Okay, I'm going to read um, a few scriptures here, and then we're going to uh, see what God has for us this morning. Okay, so in First Samuel, let's read. I'm going to read from First Samuel as God has bringing the scriptures to me right now. <clears throat> in First Samuel chapter eight. Uh, they're just going to read 1 through 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons, judges, rulers, guides over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and, and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, you are old, and your sons walk not in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, to rule over us, to guide us, just like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. Really, the Hebrew says, but the thing in the eyes of Samuel was evil was evil. When they said, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. So here's his beautiful thought right here. So when, when evil, when we see evil or when it begins to have an effect on us, what should we do immediately? We pray. And that teaches dependence on God. So immediately, what did he do? He prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord answered him in verse 7. And the Lord said unto him, Samuel, listen unto the voice. Hearken and submit. We're going to hear what that means this morning about obedience. Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto you. Give them what they want. Allow them to have what they want. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign, that I should guide, that I should rule and control them with the authority of my love. I should rule over them. So they took Saul and we see that. So now we go to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, 1 Samuel 15. And in 1 Samuel 15, and you can read a lot of what leads up to that in, in 1 Samuel 15, because I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. But you can see the context if, if you choose to, you know, you can read that and then see. So in 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices? Has the Lord, in other words, it says, the Lord, Does the Lord have as much delight when the will's not submitted and people think that they're giving to him? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as sacrifice as in obeying the voice of God? of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. In other words, to obey with a submitted will is better than trying to give God sacrifices with a will that's not even involved and it doesn't even have anything to do with him. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken, to submit under the authority of his love than the very best of any kind of sacrifice, the very best, the fat of rams, for rebellion, and that's a will not submitted in obedience. For rebellion, it says, as the sin of divination or witchcraft. 
and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from from being king, or in other words, giving you his supernatural ability to reign over you, and thus you have control through his control over you and over everything. And so remember again in, in Hosea, the fourth chapter in the sixth verse, when God was speaking to the nation of Israel, those that were his, those that he had led in a wilderness, those that he was constantly after, for them to submit them their wills to what they knew to be true. God said through Hosea the prophet to Israel that, what did he say? What did he say? And I want to read that, and, and, and we'll see this morning how important it is, and God wants to show us in, his, in the authority of his love how important it is for us as believers, as Christians, as those that are in Christ, to learn how to constantly submit our wills to him while we're here on this earth. So in Hosea 4, verse 6, it says, my people are what? Destroyed. Now the word destroyed there in the Hebrew is cut off. That's what happens when we don't submit our will to what we know to be true in the word of God in James chapter 4 and verse 17. But he said, my people are destroyed. They are cut off for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you, that you will be no priest to me. This goes into amazing things. It goes into a prayer life and how we, how we are occupied with prayer with him about others and about ourselves. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. In other words, anything you do, anything you produce won't be of any value. And when he was saying this to them here, he was bringing out very, very clearly, it's not that they didn't have truth and knowledge. It's that they had it, but they rejected it because they did not submit their will to them. And so they only lived in declarative knowledge without an experiential authority of his love over their lives. And so we can see again this obedience. Now we'll get into the New Covenant, the New Testament, and this is what the Holy Spirit was speaking to individuals in Romans the 16th chapter. And we're going to see what our effect has in terms of when we submit our will individually, when we submit our wills to God, when we do so, when we do that, our obedience not just has an effect on us, but every single person that we come in contact with. So my will, submitted or unsubmitted, and disobedience or obedience has an effect on every single relationship that I come in contact with. And it will determine how I view every circumstance and situation. It's very, very important. That's why when we posted this morning, it was how important is it then to constantly and continually submit our wills to him in obedience to what we know to be true. So Romans 16, verse 19, it says this, for your obedience. Isn't that interesting? Can I obey for you? And you obey for me? We can't, can we? Nope. That involves an individual submitting their will to Christ, their, their Lord and their Savior. 
for your obedience is come abroad unto all. In other words, everybody has been witnessing your obedience. Now, what kind of an effect would that have? What kind of an effect would disobedience have? It has come abroad unto all. Now, when it says that, what we have to understand about that is it's not going to only affect and have an effect and manifest a certain character to not only human beings, but also according to 1 Peter 1 and verse 12. And I'll read that verse there because what we seem to forget at times When we forget God, obviously we forget ourselves. When we forget ourselves, we forget everyone else. And we also forget that we're involved in an angelic conflict. Because in 1 Peter 1.12, it says this, And to whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, he's talking about all those Old Covenant, Old Testament saints, but but, but unto us they did minister the things they learned. Their obedience or disobedience was teaching us. Which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. Which things, notice what it says, the angels desire to look into. Can, will God instruct others, his creation, angels and humanity through our obedience? It makes it crystal clear here. So again, in Romans 16, verse 19, for your obedience is come abroad unto all. Men's not even in there. It's italicized. Unto all, all God's creation. And by the way, the only created beings that we know and God has made very clear in his word are angels and humanity. Nothing else. (laughs) Okay? Nothing else. There's no such thing as any other unidentified beings elsewhere. (laughs) For your obedience has come abroad unto all. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. Why? Because he benefits by it. Do we benefit by each other's obedience? Sure we do. What's the benefit? We actually have fellowship. We actually have fellowship with each other. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but I would have you wise unto that which is good. Notice that, which is good, only good in him. What good is my will when it's not submitted? How good is my will when it is submitted to God, where all goodness is? Because if it isn't, and my will is not submitted to him who is good, where all goodness flows from, according to Exodus 34 and verse 6, and a a multitude of other scriptures, then what is my obedience or disobedience teaching? What is it? Can there be fellowship between two when there's an area of disobedience in either of us, any of us? And there can't be. But I would have you wise unto that which is good. Where does wisdom come from? Well, in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, let, what? let him ask of God. Because wisdom from God is what? It's good. Is there any other kind of good? Because if my will isn't submitted to him, then I enter into Isaiah 5 and verse 20. I will call good evil and evil good. I'll put light for darkness, darkness for light. I'll put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And the reason for that is, is in Isaiah 8 verse 20, it's because there's no light in them. There's no revelation of the mind of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit through a submitted will. 
So he said, yet I would have you wise, walking in wisdom and knowing what is really good and really harmless, harmless concerning evil. You know what that means? I am so occupied. Are we in a world system? Was Jesus in a world system in John 17, verse 14? Yes, are we in John 17 and verse 16? Yes, we are. We are in an evil world system. Right now, the world system that we are in is evil. Everything about that system, that world system that started in Genesis, the fourth chapter, everything about it, other than Christ in us, really is evil. And is there any wisdom in it? Well, you can read that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter about wisdom and where wisdom comes from. I would have you wise unto that which is good and harmless concerning evil. You know, when I'm so occupied with the goodness of Christ in me and me in him, even when there's evil it's around me, it's harmless. It doesn't have an effect on me. But what about if I function in disobedience? The only way I can function in an unsubmitted will is under evil. That's it. No in-between for us. And so... In verse 20, here's our reality, by the way. Here's our reality. Now, even if we function in evil, does God see us as evil? No. He does not see us that way. He sees us perfectly in Christ in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. That's how he views me in my position. But do I experience the reality of how he sees me if my will is not submitted to him? And if it isn't, do I have a proper experience and do I function in a proper image? Well, he said, in the God of peace, how does God lead us? He leads us in his love. Why? Because love Christ on the cross has settled everything about us and, and, and has brought us into a position where it's peace, isn't it? In Ephesians 2.14, he is our peace. I don't have to go and try and find it. There is no other place for the Christian to find peace in this evil world system other than to submit the will to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into this in, in a greater way on Wednesday night. The God of peace will, will do what? Will tread Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, when it's saying that, shortly means, can mean obviously, ultimately, that's going to happen. Because it's already happened as far as God's concerned, by the way. He's already been defeated. The enemy of evil, the source of all evil, the devil, is already judged by God, period. He has been robbed of all his power now. That is, we make it very clear, the scriptures make it very clear to us in uh, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, in verses 14 and 15. We know that he, all his power has been defeated. So how does he operate then? He operates through lies, through a method of lying. And when I don't function in the good, in the wisdom of God's love through the submission of my will, what happens to me? I function under evil, experientially. Now, is it how God sees me? No. 
And even when I do function that way, is that how God treats me? No. He begins first to allow, in Jeremiah 2, verse 19, our own backsliding to correct us when we refuse the grace and truth that would do it. Sometimes we have to learn things the hard way, don't we? God. So when I refuse it, he allows the backsliding. Then up to a point, then, he, in his love and in his knowing our capacity and where we are, he will begin loving chastisement in Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 4 to 11. He'll begin that process. But it's not that he's treating us after how he sees us. He's disciplining us based upon who we are. <laughs> See, he's not making us pay for what we did. Okay? He's bringing us back into a place where we know the payment's already been met. We have a proper image and a proper experience. And so when it says the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet short, shortly, this can be in the growth of grace and knowledge. That can be in certain areas of, of my life I was held in a stronghold. What's a stronghold? In 2 Corinthians 10.4, I am held in a place where I may be ignorant completely but still held and, and I'm helpless. Or it could just be rebellion, and it's so hard, it's so hard, it keeps me there. It's in a stronghold. I'm held in a place that's stronger than my will. Did you know that sin? Always, always. According to even Romans 7, verse 21, when it's, when it's said that, when I would do good, apart from a submitted will, evil's present with me. What's that mean? What's that teaching us? That sin is always stronger than our will. When my will isn't submitted, sin rules and reigns over me. And who's doing that? In my experience. Can't touch my position, can he? And 1 John 5.18, the B part says, the wicked one touches us not. That's our position. That's how God sees us. Do you think he cares how God sees us? He knows he can't do anything with that. He just goes after us in our experience. And he looks for the place, that place, in Ephesians 4, verse 27, topos, T-O-P-O-S, give no place to the devil. What's the place that we would give him? The area where we know truth and don't submit our wills to him. That's the area where he can rule and reign over us in our experience. Can't touch the position. But boy, does he go after the experience. That's why obedience is so crystal clear. And then if I don't even know what God's will is through a lack of teaching, is it necessary then to learn? Is it necessary to learn in the school of God's discipline and in the school of at times when he has to afflict us in his love? So it can mean shortly, shortly, in this area, God's going to deal with us where no longer the enemy will have control over me because he's going to bring me to a place in my experience to submit my will to him so that I can be one with him. Then the enemy, okay, in James 4, verse 6, God, give, God resists who? The proud. Who's the proud? Unsubmitted will. Who profane us? Proud. God resists the proud, but... He gives more grace to who? The humble. What's humility? It's a will submitted. 
by the grace that God gives to make the adjustment to submit. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to those that he's humbled. Therefore, submit yourself, it says, therefore to God. Is that obedience? Does that have to do with the will? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, then he'll flee from you. How do I resist the devil? Can I do it apart from Christ, from, apart from submitted will, apart from having the yoke? There's no way possible. The only possibility is the one who made it possible, and he, the only one that did that, based upon the fifth chapter of Romans and the sixth chapter, is one, the one who did obey, walked in perfect obedience, and fulfilled, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 6, he fulfilled all our obedience. And he did it for us individually. And so then shortly, shortly, we need to be patient. We need to grow and learn and, and, and grow. Yes, yes. Shortly. A little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. I'm decreasing in John 3.30. He's increasing. Does he ask me to decrease before he gives me the increase? Could never happen. He must increase. But the only way he does in our experience is as we decrease thinking that we're in control with anything, with a will that's not submitted to him. And this is what makes it so very, very, very important. And we're just going to be, we're going to be fairly brief this morning because what we... Uh, we want to do a lot of this, and I believe that God wants us to share a lot of this and have this in fellowship together, all of us together, as we grow in this and, and we have that opportunity to fellowship in this. Uh, we'll bring it out. I believe that God will do that in, in a greater way um, on Wednesday night. But I do believe this. I do believe this, that when you and I obey the word of knowledge, and that means we come to hear the word of God. Every, every opportunity that we can, being led by peace, right? There's no, is there any conflict when I'm led by God's peace? Is there a conflict? Is there a wrestling? Is there a struggle about what I should do or what I shouldn't do when I have peace? Is there for any of us? No. No, the struggle, the struggle, and the lack of peace that's experienced, it's just because there's a struggle of the will. Should I or should I not submit? <laughs> when should we obey? When the light is on, when he gives us light instantly, right? Because delayed obedience, as God has been teaching us over the years, is what? It's just disobedience. But when I obey the word of knowledge, then and only then as we put on, on uh, a certain place, then and only then does God perform what only he can do. <laughs> he performs in my experience based upon my position. But who completed my position? God did. Who's going to complete my experiential growth in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18? It's still God. It's still God. Once we received Christ, what makes us think we can still do one single thing without submitting to him? Whose we are, we're not our own. We get into trouble because we don't understand 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We are not our own. The only way we function as our own is an unsubmitted will. And if you want, and I want a picture of what the unsubmitted will is waiting to function in, it's Matthew, the 15th chapter, and verses 16 
to 20. It is in Matthew, the seventh chapter. You can look at it and look at verse 14 all the way down through. All the way down through to 21 and so forth. It's not that that goes into a man that defiles a man. It is that that comes out of a man that defiles him. And what is it that defiles us? When I don't function in obedience to God's will through submitting to him, what do I function in? Is my conscience pure as my position in Christ is? But is my experience pure? Is it equal to the truth of how God sees me. Because when I don't function in obedience and submission to the will of God, the known will of God, then what happens? Is my, con- is my conscience positionally been purified and cleansed in Hebrews chapter 10 and 1 and 2? There's no question about it. It is in our position. But when I don't submit to God in known truth, when I put off obedience, and by the way, will God give me grace to put off obedience? to live in sin. In Romans 6, 1 and 15, he never will. Now, Titus 1, 15 says, the, unto the pure, all things are pure. Position. Then all things in my experience through submission are what? The same as my position. It's pure. All things are pure. But to them that are what? Unbelieving is what? Even their conscience is what? Defiled. Defiled here. In this particular place is tame, T-A-M-E, like our English word, tame. And it's a, it's a primary root. It means to be foul. And in a moral sense, it means to be contaminated. It means to be unclean. 74 times, 74 times in the New Testament, the foul conscience, it means to be unclean. It means to be, to defile 71 times. It means to be polluted 14 times. Uncleanness. And as a verb, and a verb does what? It expresses what? Action. To be unclean. The enemy, through the lust of the flesh, convinces me that, guess what I am? I'm unclean. Because that's what I feel like in my experience. Is it proper reality? It all has to do with the submission of the will. Every single thing about it does. And that word defiled, Tommy, is literally, it's a verb that expresses action and is the antithesis, is the opposite of tar, T-A-H-E-R, and that's what? To be pure. To be pure. Pure. Because again, in Titus 1.15, the word defiled there is meino. And it's a primary, primary, very important verb that expresses action. Okay, defiled there means to sully or to taint or to contaminate, to stain. Boy, does he like to put stains on our experience, right? To stain, to tinge or dye with another color. Oh, how do we see things? We see them in the proper color and the purity of who we are in Christ. Well, when I obey the word of knowledge, then and only then does God perform what only he can do based upon what he's finished about us in Christ. Then I have a true experience. When I have a true experience, what am I functioning? An actual true image. (laughs) My true image is that God sees me through Christ, who is my righteousness. We said it in Job 36 and verse 7, and in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. 
Of him are we, made of him are we in Christ. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And then as it is written, he that glories, notice what it says, let him glory in the the Lord. But when I don't submit my will over to him, in my experience, who do I glory in? I think I'm glorying in myself, but who is, who am I functioning under in the self-life? The enemy. And that's what I'm doing. Is it, it's, again, is it how God sees me? Is he treating me after my failure? No, because my failures are dealt with in my position. So when God comes, is he against who I am in Christ or against what I'm functioning in that I am not of his son and of the authority and command and beauty of his love through the son of his love? And, and we see that in Colossians 1 and verse 13. He's, he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness. He's made us meet, qualified us to be children of light, to walk in the light, the purity of a proper image in Colossians 1.12. And he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness, it says in 1.13. And then in the original, it says, into the very son of his love. Boy, what's our need? What's our need? It's to be loved. How did, why did God create us? Why did he create? Because he had a need to love us and loves us and through our obedience to be loved. Isn't that interesting? Does God love to be loved? Okay. In Psalm 11, verse 7, does the righteous Lord love righteousness? Yes. Well, what's it based on? Who God is and God is Love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. He is love. And so this is the way. The only way possible. And we're going to close this out this morning. The only way possible of having a proper understanding of God's word is by the submission and subjection of the will to the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Galatians 5 and verse 16, walk in the Spirit under His government and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit who while we are here, while Christ is interceding for us in heaven, in Romans 8 verse 34 and in Hebrews 7 verse 25 and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24, while he's interceding for us and being our comforter in heaven, we have another comforter, the paraclete who comes alongside of us while we're here on this earth, who abides in us now in, in, in John 14 and verse 17. He abides in us. And what is he doing abiding in us? He's taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13 and 14. He's taking those things of Christ and guiding us into, in our experience, a proper reality and image through a submitted will. And he always shows us those things that Christ has made us to be in himself. That's John 16, 13 and 14. And that's why we don't have a need that just any other man that teaches apart from a submitted will. We don't have a, a, a need that any man should teach us, but we have the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2 and verse 27. So that we can see as we close this out this morning, we have in his presence, and the only way to experience his presence is God present with us. 
Will he ever leave us or forsake us? Joshua 1, 5, will he? Nope. Matthew 28, verse 19? Nope. Hebrews 13, 5, with a triple, triple salutation. I will never, no, never, no, never in any way ever leave you nor forsake you. So his presence is there. But how do I experience his presence? And do I need to while I'm in this world right now, this evil world system? Which one will I experience? The evil world system through the loss of the flesh and an unsubmitted will? Or do I want to experience the authority and beauty of his love? Well, the only way to do that is through a submitted will. Then I have a true experience. When I have a true experience, I have a true proper image. And when I do that have a true proper image, I function in my true proper place. And when I do that in my proper place, what do I have? I have rest and I have peace. I have peace. I'm not trying to look for peace inwardly apart from Christ. I'm not trying to look into the world system to get peace. I'm not even looking to another believer to have peace. I have peace with God and so do you. That's Romans chapter 5 verses 1. And two, I have peace with God. And that brings me into, in Romans 5, 2, a proper standing, a position in Christ. He's present. He's present. But if I love the world, in 1 John 2, 15, and the things of the world, what? The love of God, what? It's not in me. In, in what? In my experience. Why? Because the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life have taken over through an unsubmitted will. And thank God, thank God, the way that he sees us, the way that he sees us is such a beautiful way. It's unchanging. His sight of us is unchanging. What is my sight of him? And what is my sight of Christ in me and me in him? All very important through the submission of the will. And we will get into these things truthfully in a greater way. I'm going to close it with this and just explain a little bit about the word obedience. The word obedience. The word obedience is hupa koeo or hupa koi. And it's literally from this word. It's from hupa kouo. And it means, this is what it means, to hear under. Notice that? To come under the authority of God's love through the power of the Holy Spirit as he takes the things of Christ and shows them unto me. I am, what is my proper place while I am here? I am to be under the authority of his love. And when I'm not, another authority comes in. The only other one that could would be the enemy, the evil, the evil one. So it means to hear under as a subordinate. He's everything and I am nothing without him who's everything and submission in every area. It means a subordinate. And it means to listen attentively. Oh boy. It's why the Bible teaches us and why God has us teach it here that preparation and discipline, even before we come to hear the word of God, is so extremely necessary. To listen attentively, and by implication it means to heed or conform. Are we conformed already in Christ in our position? 
Is it necessary for us to be conformed in Romans chapter 8, 28, 29, 30, and all the way down to 39? Watch the progression of it. And it starts in Romans 8, 1. But you have to go through Romans 7 to be decreased. <laughs> so that the cry there in Romans 7, 24 is not, not God who is going to help me in this present condition which is not of Christ. No, you already are in him. It's just the will. That's the, that's the area, the problem area. That's the struggle. It's the will. And it could be through ignorance and it could be through rebellion. And that's what makes necessary. I can't even, how do, pe- how do Christians, even those that have been taught, not hear the word anywhere? How, how are they? Come on. Don't you know how you are when you don't function in the Word? I know how I am. And uh, I just don't know how they do it. So we just we need to pray for each other too. In a healthy way and in, in a way of however God leads us. So it means to, to heed or com- conform to a command. And a command is not legalism. The command that Jesus is speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit to us this morning is a new commandment that I give you. I love you. Submit to my love. That's the command. Submit to my love and what it's accomplished for you in John 13, 34. And then in that love, you'll love others. (laughs) It's the fulfillment of the whole law in Matthew 22, 37 and 39. And even then, then some even way above that. So it means to submit to the command and authority of his, of his love. It's from the Greek word, it's this word, hupakoi, it's made up of two Greek words. The first is hupo, H-U-P-O. And that word literally means under, under. And that, when it speaks, is, is genitive. You know what genitive is, right? It speaks of source. In the Greek, when it talks about a, the genitive, when it talks about that, and the way it does in the original languages, the genitive always speaks of source. For us, it's proper place, proper position. Genitive, hupo, under, under, subordinate, in a proper place to receive the reality in my experience, what I am positioned in Christ. So, and it means beneath. We are under, beneath him who's everything, <laughs> sovereign above. And when I submit to him, I have the sovereignty and command of his love that's above everything. Even evil is harmless to me, we read in, Matthew, in Romans 16 and verse 19. And so, it means to be beneath, and when it's used with verbs... And what do verbs do? They express what? Action. The action of his love. Verbs, it speaks of the agency. Who's the agent? Christ, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or the means. And the means means through. I can do anything when my will submitted to him. And I can go through anything here. And it will be harmless and won't even touch me. Because the wicked one doesn't touch us in our position. And when I'm submitted to Christ and he has to face Christ in me, what does he do? He flees. He flees. Because he is a flea. 
That's what it means. And that's what Jesus, that's what was being taught us in Philippians 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who makes me mighty, who makes me powerful. I can do all things through Christ that makes me mighty, dynamite, dunamis, powerful. Why? Because in Philippians 4 verse 19, my God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, Will? Here's God's will. I want to do this for you. This is how, this is your position. Do you want that? Do you want peace? Then submit. Boom. Now we're one. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 11, 21, and 22. So it means that in Philippians 4, through. Agency means through. And then with the accusative, and again, we're just bringing this out briefly, the accusative in the Greek, when it talks of the original Koine Greek, the accusative simply means this. It means, it's means of extension. Con constantly extending us. Constantly bringing us and extending us uh, in our proper place. Can he do that if we're not in our proper place experientially? And so place here means which way? Do you ever ask God, what did I do? Do you ever ask God, what, do, what am I supposed to do now? What do you want me to do? Okay, tell me something. What can you do for yourself apart from him? Tell me what do we think we can do for another? Do we even think it's our responsibility to do for someone else what is only their responsibility with a submitted will in Christ? Am I supposed to try to do anything? No. I could, I would, if I tried, get in the way. Which way? Which way? And then it means where. Which way? And God will show us where. <laughs> Through a submitted will. Well, where, God? Okay. What, 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 what do I do? Which way? Which way? Okay. And he says, where? And I say, where? Which way? Where? Here. He shows us. Where? Underneath. What does that speak of? Humility of the will. He's going to show you the way. He's not going to show us anything when our will's not submitted. We know he's not going to give us grace in an unsubmitted will. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Which way? Where? Where? It's below. Humility. That's where. That's where. And then it speaks of time, too. When and what time should we not be submitted to him? In what time should we not walk in truth? Listen, listen, listen. In what time should I not be in fellowship with him no matter what I'm doing? And his fellowship, Christ, period. In what time, then, when I'm with another, what should it be? Should always be fellowship. And if it can't be, and you can't fellowship with someone, then, and you're not supposed to be with them, what do you do? You pray for them. Not with accusation or condemnation, but in the purity of God's love. And you see them purely in Christ, no matter what. Now, it also means this. Retains the same general applications of what? Especially of what? When my will is not submitted to him, when it's not, okay, and we just gave those, the progression of those things, when it's not, then what? 
When my will isn't submitted to him, what do I function in? An inferior position. That's what this word goes into. We need to hear so we don't function in an inferior position or condition. (laughs) Experience, condition, position, place, standing. And especially what? Covertly. Covertly. What does the enemy do? When, when he causes us to question God, what does he do? He's doing something covertly, secretly. He gets our attention. Could that be fellowship? Covertly or moderately. What does that mean? Moderately. Well, maybe in this area they obey, but boy, I'm going to go after him in this one. So I'm going to modify their behavior. And if I can, I'm going to modify how they see themselves and I'm going to tell them through that modification how God sees them and it's based upon a lie. (laughs) So incredible. Or moderately and so forth. And we're going to stop there because we need to go into this in 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 a greater, greater way. But let me tell you something. God only sees us perfectly in Christ. His view of us in Christ never changes. There's not an ounce of condemnation or accusation at all in that. He never tells us opposite of who we are. He only goes after what we function in that we're not of. In the precious love of his son, the way he loves us just like his son. An amazing thing. So Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, for the word, we thank you for your provision for us, your counsel for us this morning. Not only for now, but what you give us now has dealt with our past and prepares us whatever is in the future that we are to face. And should we face it without your face? I have always set the Lord before my face. In Psalm 16, verse 8, that speaks of obedience and submission of a will. And then we function in in your joy as you love us in 1611 in your presence of Psalm 16, verse 11. In Jesus' name, thank you so much, Lord. Amen.